Welcome to another exciting and elucidating episode of the OmniTalk Ask an Expert series. I am your host, Chris Walton. I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail blog that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail. And Ann, today is big. Yes. Big with a capital B. Because today we're going to talk the tech trends that are set to define retail in 2022 with one of the biggest, most important companies out there. And of course, I am talking about Microsoft. Yes, this is going to be exciting. This is like everybody's shopping earlier. Black Friday's moving up earlier. We're going we're gonna to kick it off. We're going to put our trends out in November. Right. The second week of November before everybody else. That's how there. we do it. At that's Talk. right. We're fast. That's we right. We try to be fast than everybody else. But seriously, coming off their fabulous Ignite conference a couple weeks ago, which I had a chance to attend, it was pretty sweet. Uh, we are pleased to announce that joining us today are Chris Derringer, the general manager of retail and consumer goods at Microsoft, and fellow top 100 retail influencer and the director of partner marketing advisors for retail and CPG at Microsoft, the notorious RB, Ricardo Belmar. How are you guys both doing today? Great. Wonderful. I feel like I've got to add to my title to keep up with uh, Ricardo. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to use that notorious RB, Chris, from now on. Mm -hmm. I know. I, so I tried to show up on my LinkedIn just profile. for you, actually. I thought yeah. that might have some staying power for, yeah. for yeah, you. That so might I, stick. That might I stick. I did that especially for you, my friend. All right. Now, before <laughs> we get started, just a quick reminder for all those watching live on LinkedIn, feel free to ask your questions of Chris and Ricardo at any time via the chat session window in LinkedIn. And please, please, please don't be shy because as the title of this talk indicates, we plan to get into the top tech trends Microsoft believes will shape retail in 2022. So you're going to want to ask them all about it. All right, you guys, before we get started, I want to tell the listeners and the live audience a little bit about who each of you are and why you're qualified to be on the stage today, giving your top trends. Chris, let's start with you. Tell us about you and your role at Microsoft. Oh, I get to go first. Lucky straw me. Uh, great. Um, so yeah, th thanks guys. Excited to be here today. Uh, so Chris Erringer, last yes, I lead our retail and consumer goods industry practice for enterprise commercial business inside of Microsoft. And <laughs> as I'm saying that, I realize that's a mouthful. So <laughs> what, what does that piece really mean? It just means myself and a set of practitioners that have hired, we identify and recognize trends within the retail consumer goods landscape, and then help our customers realize those wherever they're at along their digital transformation journey. And that's about the, the quickest bumper sticker I can kind of put in there. That was pretty good. I know. I love I, it. I where, where are you, where are you searching for these trends, Chris? Like where, what kind of things are you going to, where are you seeing them? How, how is your team collecting that information? I mean, I don't know if this is a layup for you guys, but I'm an avid listener. So we pull from, <laughs> all right. I seated that one. <laughs> nice. nice. I'll, I'll give you your cut after the show, Chris. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're in our landscape. And I say that in jest, but also in truth, right? So uh, industry events, grocery shop, where we mm -hmm. saw you guys and you were able to present in there. So associate groups. Uh, Nax was another one that we were just at. So we've saw, we really look at different sub verticals being convenience store, one grocery being another specialty retail, uh, consumer goods, uh, FMI is another one in there. So we try to stay close to the associations, try to stay up on trends, read blogs and thought leaders like yourselves. And those are all sorts of different ways on top of the feedback we're getting from our customers directly to, to bring that together. Excellent. Uh, Ricardo, tell us a little bit about you. You have the longest title of anyone at Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, I get, the, I get the privilege of the long yes, title. Yes. Yeah. How many How many things do you do there? Tell us about it. Well, Microsoft. so let's see. I, I don't know if I can make mine as short a bumper sticker as Chris did. But uh, so, so my role at Microsoft, I get the uh, pleasure of working with the Microsoft Partner Network. Uh, and what, uh, you know, when, when it says partner marketing advisor, it means I, I help those partners that are targeting retailers, consumer goods brands, I help them co-market with Microsoft mm. so that we are kind of aligned on what, you know, like what we're talking about today, what we think the trends are, what we think the business challenges are that need to be solved. And, and I help kind of surface uh, what their unique value is on top of what Microsoft brings to the table for those retailers and consumer goods brands. So I spend a lot of time talking to their marketing folks, to their uh, business folks who are you know, engaging with retailers. So I kind of hear both from other vendors like ourselves. I get to hear from, uh, you know, our folks like Chris, what they're seeing from customers. And then, you know, as, as you know, right, I'm always in the middle of, uh, you know, what all the other activity and action going on, whether it's from what the stuff that you guys are doing or what uh, other folks that we all 
I kind of know, you know, what they're writing about and trends they're seeing. And I'm just kind of putting all of that gelled together uh, and working again with those, those partner solutions to, to really get the right things out there uh, and align it to, to solve problems for retailers. So you're kind of the cartilage, Ricardo. You're kind of the cartilage <laughs> in a way. Yeah, brings it all I'm together. Kind of like the glue right? that holds it all together. Yeah, right? I was. I was. I'm, I'm building the glue. He's more like the bouncer for the beautiful giant Microsoft booth that you see at all the trade shows. Like <laughs> Ricardo gets to say, like, you're on the list. He's you're the not. gatekeeper. Yeah. You're yes. on the list. Yes, that's right. That's right. So Everybody to wants to be on my list. Ricardo. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and well, right. for those listening and watching live, we asked Chris and Ricardo to put together their list of the top tech trends on which they would bet for 2022. So we are going to get right to it without any further delay. So Chris, going to you first, what is, drum roll please, the number one tech trend that Microsoft would bet on for 2022? Oh, that, that is great. Do I date myself if I say this is like, remember the Muppet show when Kermit yes. was out there and screaming and going? And then oh, they, hell yeah. <laughs> love open it. The, yeah, open the curtain. If I'm not dating myself, that's almost how it felt. I heard the music in the background. Yes. <laughs> From that perspective. Awesome. Love the intro, guys. Uh, okay. So number one, let's start off. And in no particular order, uh, mm. the first one that we, we pulled out here was and I'm going to talk about something that probably crosses both retail, consumer goods, FinServe, automotive, many different areas. And that's the hyper-connected business with everything going digital. And I've often said, if you've heard me talk at other sessions, you know, if you're not putting digital at the center of your strategy, thriving is not even a question. Just surviving this net new normal is going to be a, a struggle. Mm -hmm. So if we can agree that tech is at the center of business, there's a problem associated with that. We don't have enough developers today to build these solutions. And we're seeing a, a surging set of demand, a number of like 500 million more apps are required to meet business needs today with roughly a 1 million developer shortfall to fill that demand. And even by 2025, we've seen numbers that will push that number four times. So hmm. my math is still right here, 4 million. So what does that mean? Innovation is forced through a very narrow capacity of dev teams and tech teams, uh, and the demand is growing. So the answer isn't necessarily to teach everyone to code. That can be like a language that not everyone has the same thought process around, but rather to turn people into and provide them with a developer mindset to do low code, no code. And if you can build in PowerPoint and Excel today, you can build in these solutions. If you remember when those rolled out, they might've been a little bit daunting, but today they're almost second nature and a breath that we use inside of our environment. So who uses that? everyone, right? right? We've seen truck drivers, merchants, grocery store pickers, asset protection, uh, someone who's curious and sees a need that they can build in their organization. They've actually even been able to grow their careers. So take side steps and jumps out of the, jump out of the places that they're at and move over into IT or technology. Then I've got a couple different examples. If we have one, one where people have had no experience and no coding versus structured areas, if we want to go into kind of where we're seeing these things land. Yeah, absolutely. That was going to be my question. Like, explain to us for layman's terms, like if we're like a five-year-old being exposed to this concept for the first time, you know, like what does low code or no code actually mean in practice? Sure. What does it yeah. look like? Yeah. Um, it's so on the, on the first piece of it, the easy ones reporting, right? So we call it natural language based reporting. Remember how like reporting was complex and you had to have all those permutations yeah. today. There's a simple set of questions you can ask and the tools are smart enough to understand you. Like I'm looking to see who the highest performing store is in my region. It picks who you are, what you said, what you're looking for, and to put that together. Um, then how do I build and automate solutions? That's probably the biggest. So I'm able to connect up to various different data sources or areas and put big objects together. And then there's some repeatable, we'll say coding structure there that just kind of does it for you. So you're putting these blocks together mm -hmm. as a business user, you know what you want and what you want to see. And the tools all integrate and pull these things for you. So that's kind of the, the layman's way of how to say there are these net new capabilities out there for any business user to use coding skills or not. And so what you're saying is that essentially what's, what's creating the impetus for this is that there's this huge shortfall in terms of engineering talent. And so we've got to come up with new ways for non-engineers to help with this programming or coding, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ab absolutely. That, that shortfall we definitely believe is going to there. And, and that, that war for talent isn't going to go away. So, so what is an organization's answer for that? And again, there's kind of two themes that we've seen, both people who have no experience doing it and those that do that integrate it into their practices that we can go into some examples for if if yeah. Like. And, and I'm curious too, Ricardo, like, what do you, what do you, as you, in your job, as you described it for mm -hmm. Anne, like, 
what are you seeing in this space? Like, how do you think about what Chris just talked about? Oh yeah. This, this to me is a a big one because on top of everything Chris just spelled out for why this is such a a critical thing, there's another huge benefit and that's the speed of of deployment and speed, speed of building the solution. So not only are you enabling, uh, you know, folks who you would label as non-developers to put these kinds of solutions together, uh, you're, 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 A, you're opening the door right for more people to do it. So when I talk to our partners about this here, there's a lot of excitement because now, you know, you used to look for, say, a systems integrator, right, that would have to custom develop a big solution for you on a cloud platform to roll out a new capability. Well, right. they can still still do that for you, of course, but they're going to do it that much faster because mm-hmm. they can leverage all these low-code and no-code uh, kind of design. So speed to deploy. And for most retailers that I've talked to, right, anecdotally, they love to tell me the stories that, you know, they during the pandemic, right? All their retail CEOs said, look, we have to put this out right now. It, it can't take six months. And sure enough, right? What did every retail CEO learn is that it actually doesn't take six months to deploy most things. You can right. do things in six weeks, sometimes six days. And sure enough, what's the best way to do that? It's with these low code, no code solutions, because you can put more people on it and get the job done faster. Yeah. And I think the other option is that you get to experiment faster. So, so Chris, exactly. because you, you can try new things. Up, yeah. Chris, because you teed it up a couple of times, what is your favorite example in practice where you're seeing somebody do this? Am I limited to one or can I choose a few? You can choose two. You can do whatever you want. We're, we're, heard, we're happy and free flowing here. I heard a few. So I'm going to push the boundaries. Um, <laughs> in one set of category that you have, it's, it's the people who've never done this before, right? An example. So, um, Coca-Cola freestyle machines. Do you guys use those? Do you ever go yeah, on like, yeah, yeah. Blend? Right. Yeah. So when they first released that, that was brand new for them. Right. There was a complicated 11 step process that they had that their supply chains couldn't be easily fit into. Right. So when's it replenished? How much is it being used? How does this fit into my normal syrup intake area? And they wrote an app that integrated their receivables, cutting checks, placing orders, a piece in roughly eight, you know, we said six to eight weeks they put together to automate that entire process. Wow. I'll step through a couple of examples where Walgreens asset store protection and end of store closing activities. Uh, an asset protection team built an app for about six to 700 asset protection members with no coding experience that they put out there across all of their stores. Then G&J, yeah, wow. nuts, right? And then yeah, G&J, that's crazy. Yeah, they, they went through, so yeah. they're one of the largest distributors out close to you guys in the Great Lakes. A seven team, this is one of our first examples, a seven group, uh, team group of people went together to automate the store audit process and merge processes mm. without any coding experience. Their net savings in productivity and cost, they saved about 500K in the first year uh, and reduced and took out apps for another 240K. So we, these are examples where you got people who've never done it before adding real solutions to the table. Now, what do you say if I've got an organization ready to adopt and bring this into IT? My favorite example, and I think you guys have them out there, like Giant Eagle, familiar yeah. with those guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Large, large grocery chain, their first problem was task management, right? And everyone agreed it was a problem. Like they couldn't get the things they wanted. They were using only about 10% of the current solution, but they were paying for 100% of it, right? Built a quick power app that we talked about as a pilot approach to meet the need. In about eight weeks, same thing. They turned this around and released it out to the business while building this. Facilities management heard about it. They developed a mobile app for themselves to work through uh, different on-site processes that they had to go back to corporate for that they could do all at mobile. Then, love this, you mentioned COVID before, right? They went through and and no one really knew how to do COVID notification processes, had to build a COVID notification process. They moved to curbside, community outreach, virtual agents, where today they're running over 100 solutions on our power platform that run faster, that give them the capabilities that normal traditional uh, businesses wouldn't have been able to achieve. So Chris, when you guys were like, you know, teasing about here, these are the kinds of trends that we're thinking of before this. At first I was like, okay, is that just like, is he talking about like Shopify? I mean, I have to admit, like, I was like, I mean, where it's like, you you don't have to know how to build a website, but you can like put something together. And now this is just like, it's like, Completely, right? yeah, yeah, blowing my mind on this one. Um, I'm sure, hopefully, for, yeah, I'm, not I'm admitting the list we put together is feeling a little pedestrian yes. already through yes. trend number one. Yes, but, but um, hey, that's why these guys are here. Well, Ricardo, I want to ask you about trend number two. What What's the next thing that uh, people should be paying closer attention to? All right. Well, so trend number two, I think you'll like this one too. Uh, where thinking about retail media networks and advertising and marketplaces, all kind of is one really mega trend. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say that because what's one of the number one things that's probably got most retail marketers staying awake at night, it's the death of the cookie, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does that mean? That means they've got to find new ways to do a couple of different things. One is how do I promote, right? How do I get people to, to see my product and convert? And then what do I do about customer data, right? If I'm not going to get all this, you know, third-party cookie data, what else am I going to do to build up uh, customer data and understand who my, my buyers are? So if you take the first piece, right, the, these retail media networks. So originally this was all about building out a marketplace. So of course, you know, the classic example, Amazon marketplace, we've all seen the data on how, uh, how much ad revenue they're generating, right? Just on, on their marketplace. Alone. And it's not just them now, you know, after, after Amazon, Walmart, Target followed, we even see now Dollar General, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Best right. Buy. And it, it's now we, we have the ability that any retailer that has enough size and enough third-party merchandise, right, could turn their e-commerce site into a marketplace. So you've got the, the revenue source, that's one piece. But then the, the real kicker, I think, for this is, you know, pulling in the advertising unit so that you can learn and collect data on all the customers that are browsing, right? So look at uh, Home Depot has done this where they, you know, en- enabled uh, ad units on their search pages, right? So it's bringing in huge revenue for them, but it's also allowing them to learn what things people are buying uh, when they're searching for what catches their eye, right? What products do they go to? And then the follow-on step to that, because this is all connected, right? It's all about this data uh, piece around customer data, uh, is building this out now into a true customer data platform that takes advantage of machine learning to really mine out what are the insights about your customers? You know, what, what trends can you find based on purchase history, right? Ba- basic things that we always talk about. Uh, and some of this stuff has been available for a while, but what we see happening is that it's really now moving into high gear. I've got a number of partners that are building out solutions for this and working with pretty pretty significant retailers. You know, folks like Patagonia, um, you know, a, a fairly large uh, coffee shop that we all know that uh, will remain nameless, but uh, you, you can you can guess. Uh, and these all these systems, right? You you collect all this customer insight data from multiple sources, so you've got. Uh, data coming in from your media network. You've got purchase data from point of sale. You probably have a loyalty program, right? So this is a little bit circular in that you've got people signing into the loyalty program, but now you can leverage the data that was there and all these other sources to enhance that loyalty program. And it's almost becomes like a, a flywheel effect, right? Where you get people more and more involved with your products, with your information, and it keeps building from there. It makes you smarter in how you market out and outreach to your customer to keep them engaged with you as a brand. Uh, and some other things that I, I see happening in this space that again, just tied into all these uh, network pieces, say you're on uh, a retailer's e-commerce site and I don't know, you're shopping for a fleece jacket. You'll see display ads that pop up on almost every retailer site, right? That are not necessarily the retailer's ads because they're part of a display ad network, right? Well, what happens when one of those ads is for a competitor? Uh, obviously, you don't want that, right? You, right? Because the last thing you want is that customer to click on that ad and go to another website. So, I, you know, I have, for example, one partner who's got a, a wonderful uh, machine learning-based solution that looks for this uh, and actually takes over the ad unit and inserts one of your own ads okay. into it. So it could be uh, an ad for a related product, right? If you know something about the customer because they've already logged in on your site, now you can feed back into that customer data platform you had make this a much more intelligent recommendation engine than, you know, the kind that we all sort of laugh at, right? When we, we look at some of those recommendations on some websites and scratch our heads and say, why would I be interested in that? You know, it's, it's right. like, I'm buying a baseball bat and they're showing me a football, right? right? Uh, all of these things kind of working together uh, and, but it all flowing back into starting out with a media network, building out marketplaces, leading into these customer data platforms. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, and I got to tell you, like, if I was to redo our list right now, I think this one would make my list just yeah. listening to these guys talk. Cause, and this is a piece of, this isn't, and the reason I say that too, this is an area that as OmniTalk, we're going to spend more time on for those listening to actually have a company that we're going to spotlight here in a few weeks. So we get into this in a lot more depth, but Chris, the question that I want to ask you too, in relation to what Ricardo just said, you know, from the CBG side here too, there's a, there's an element for collaboration here this Mm -hmm. kind of, this kind of technology allows that is untapped in a lot of ways where one plus one equals three. I'm curious, like, what's your take on that whole idea as part of this? Oh, that, I mean, that's a, that's an age old challenge. And if I solve that one, we're going to, you and I can go into business together with (laughs) make a whole lot of money. Uh, 
Yeah. The, I, so on the, on this, I'll start the CBG side first. It's a great question. Um, like the, the connection and, and they're building brand affinity and connection with directly with their consumers is a constant thread we talk with them about. Right. So do they even know who those consumers are? And yes, they're customers of the retailer and it's a valuable channel that they're going through, but they've got to harden and build that connection directly with their consumers that we're seeing this, you know, e-commerce trend drive today. He, you know, Ricardo mentioned, um, the, we call it customer hijacking, right? Uh, okay. approach where you'll see like other ads will pop. It's a great partner yeah. of ours. Ads will pop up, right? Like you would never walk into an, uh, an Adidas and see a Nike sign or conversely like right. in there. And oftentimes in e-com, you'll see that. So, you know, when, when CG companies are going direct to consumer and they're thinking about that, there's all sorts of these, you know, do I know who my customer is? How am I engaging with them? How are we driving uh, direct to consumer from that perspective and how do I harden my solutions there from a security perspective. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity for them connected back to the retailer and data. Every CG company that I talk with has some type of Monday morning report that they've got to get to, you name it, Target, Walmart, Kroger, right? Like they got teams of people around those. And so being able to build a lot of that syndicate data Cardo Ricardo talked about, pulling that in, understanding what the right recommendation is. So not only do I maximize my shelf, but I get the right shelf amount for revenue that I can drive. And that's kind of what some of the, you're leading into my AI and ML speech that I'll get into one of our translators. Oh, tease, tease. Yeah. But, it, but it, you hit on a good one, Chris. Like that's one that, that, that is have a, a huge problem that's been here for a while that people are circulating and trying to solve. Yeah, so, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and we're just talking about you know, conventional retailers right now. We're not even talking about like some of the instant delivery providers too, who have access to multiple, like multiple Mm -hmm. sources and stores of, of consumer information that cross multiple retailers. So it's only, if you start thinking about those, I'll give you another uh, data point just to to really cement this one on your, on your list. So uh, Forrester, uh, you know, as I believe predicting uh, growth to $50 billion in next year and just the revenues off these retail media networks. Yeah. So if you start accounting for, you know, the Instacarts, all the delivery platforms, all right. of those combined, right? We're, we're talking about a serious business. Right. You, yeah. you, you hit on it. Can I touch on the final mile, right? Like that final mile delivery from yeah. C stores to grocers to distribution centers to warehouses. I think everyone's trying to figure out with that growth in e-commerce, how to make that profitable 100%. Uh, and, and yeah. scale. And what's really interesting is you look at, you know, I'm not saying every grocer or C store can go out and, and put a delivery uh, ecosystem together or logistics system together, but some have, like, if you look at, um, let's say Inspire Brands, Jimmy John's, right? They've got their own delivery arm, pizza places like Domino's, they have their own delivery arm. So they're not having to go through that question of, you know, the Instacarts, the Uber Eats and the others, like, how do they fit in my ecosystem? Do they own the relationship with the customer? Do I? Because, you know, a few, what is it? A few months ago when, when Instacart was it, when they went on um, strike, it wasn't Instacart that took the hit of that around their customers. It was companies like Publix mm-hmm. who took that hit directly at the, they, they weren't fulfilling orders. They weren't driving uh, demand, which was their, you know, their business. So it's a really interesting way that I don't think everyone's cracked the nut on just yet. Yeah. And that, it's funny. I just looked this up. I looked up the top 100 retailers on NRF site and you yeah. know, $50 billion for perspective that would put you as a retailer in the number 13 position across the US. So like that gives you an idea of the scale in terms of how much volume is going to yeah. be running through these media yeah. networks. All right, Ricardo, let's stick with you again for number three. What is Microsoft's number three trend that they would bet on for 2022? All right. Well, if, if you thought that one was going to make your list, I, I suspect you're going to be, you're going to like this one too. Ooh. So I'm going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the great resignation, right? And what, what every retailer is dealing with in their workforce in terms of labor shortages uh, and how they find the right talent. So I'll start on this one. It's really about something that it's not just affecting retailers, right? Every industry is dealing with uh, post-pandemic, right? How do we return to work? And and for the most part, everyone is really going to land on some sort of a hybrid model because guess what? Most every employee has kind of figured out that, you know, it's actually not so bad uh, being away from the office, <laughs> working from home, working remotely, at least some of the time. You know, some people don't like it all the time. Some want it some. Uh, and there's a, a big little bit of a contradiction, right? We've um, you know, re- release some surveys uh, that we've done ourselves, right? That show employees tend to say in, in really big numbers, you know, like 70, 80%, yep, I want to keep supporting this work from home mode. But that same percentage of people will say, I want more interaction with my fellow coworkers. So a little difficult, right, to do that. But what that means is you've got to leverage the right technology now to make the whole work environment more collaborative. 
So now if you plug this into a retail scenario, what are some things you can do here? Uh, I'll give you an example with uh, REI, for example, right? Mm. At the early days of the pandemic and they had to close stores, they weren't essential, but obviously they wanted to keep selling. Uh, and, and what's an REI store really known for? Well, it's, it's the green vest, right? The employees that know the products, they know how to help you figure out what you want to buy. They shifted to more of a live selling model uh, they leveraged technology like Teams and they had one-on-one -on -one sessions with customers where they did exactly what they did in the store, but they did it in a video interface mode, right? Uh, in this one-on-one -on -one mode and they've kept this going, right? So even after stores have opened, they still offer this to customers and they're not the only ones uh, doing that. So uh, next thing that you, you, know, you wanna see that retailers are gonna wanna do, how do I get people to take my in-store jobs? Now, every retailer is suffering now that they can't get enough staff you know, how many signs do you drive by in every store that say now hiring, right? Whether, and even, especially all, all the, our, our big box friends. So uh, one way to do that, right, is to demonstrate to that potential labor pool that, hey, you, you, you're going to use the same technology you're used to using in your everyday life, right? You're still going to take advantage of mobile apps and mobile devices and do a lot of things that you might be doing to collaborate with friends and family when you're talking to them. You're just going to do it in this work environment using a handheld device of some kind or a tablet. You're going to do all of your uh, you know, work scheduling through that device. You're going to do your task management that way. You're going to get training that way. You don't have to assume that you're going to go into this really old-fashioned model where everything is either on paper or stuck on a bulletin board. You're going to leverage all the technology to make it as much of an environment as you're used to in your everyday life to make it more enticing. So that makes it a more pleasing work environment, more efficient, more productive, probably makes in many cases the more mundane tasks that you're going to be asked to do that much faster to do because now you've got some some technology support and then your workforce back at the home offices right again you know they want to be hybrid they don't want to always be in the office they don't necessarily want to always work remotely those same tools are going to help them be just as collaborative in working with their coworkers and in communicating out to the store so you can see how this you know is going to help uh, that store manager work with their district manager, work back to headquarters folks when they need to have questions answered. Uh, it will help a store associates. So another example, uh, we have a, a great partner that has a voice solution that acts like a, a voice assistant for a frontline worker. So instead of having to uh, be in that situation where a customer asks you a question and you need to find another expert uh, on staff to answer that, you use this voice assistant to either communicate electronically through it and in sort of a asynchronous model, or it connects you to that person either in the store you're at, another store could be central call center location or, or back at a home office somewhere. But uh, you know, it, it's another form of a collaboration tool that focuses where the expertise where it needs to be at the time it needs to be using that technology. Uh, and retailers like this, you know, obviously customers are going to love this because you you get your answers right away and it makes it easier right, to get through a purchase. So those kind of technologies are, are things that are going to be more and more motivated for retailers because of this great resignation and this, uh, this you know, difficulty in getting people to onboard with you because everyone, you know, is starting to feel like they should be getting a different job. Yeah. So Ricardo, let me double click on that a little bit. So like you mentioned the voice technology, I'm curious to like, and, and we get the trends, the great resignation, the fact that retailers are having to do more with less or having to get more productive. What are some of the other underlying technologies that make that happen? Like, you know, I'm thinking like the cloud, for example, is probably one mm -hmm. that is the connect again. I feel like we've said connected yeah. tissue like three times here already, but, right. but that right. to me comes to mind as one of those that has to be part of this equation too. Are, are, am I thinking about that right? And are there other ones too that you'd list out? Yeah, I think certainly that that's a part of it. So in this case in particular, right, all of these things I just listed in these collaborative tools, they, they all work in the cloud, right? They're all cloud-based. Uh, and, and in some cases you might want to think of it as cloud plus edge because it's okay. tied to, you know, there's a device you're gonna use at the edge. Uh, as that frontline worker, it might be a smartphone, it might be a tablet, uh, it might be it's running on a point of sale terminal, but there's an edge device that's doing something, but it's all cloud-based because you need that connectivity in the cloud to make this connection point, right? Because not everything that you're gonna access would be local to you. The, the part of the goal here is to give you access to the mountain of information that the enterprise behind you has to make that job more efficient and more productive. Especially when we're seeing even some retailers allowing um, employees to use their own devices, right. like, you know, especially in warehouses and some other spots where it's just, it's simpler that way. They don't have the upfront costs of the hardware. To, right. And you, you know, just connect to the app. 
right. that way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I'm starting to feel better about our list after that one. Okay. Man. Yeah. I okay. Good. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Chris, let's hear number four. Ooh, we're over to number four. Okay. So um, for us, everyone, you know, not everyone, many people are talking about AI, ML, data, IoT in some fashion. Right. Um, And they're not wrong. Right. Given, you know, what we talked about in the sense of, you know, the growth of e-commerce and the great acceleration that we've seen uh, come through here. Uh, But but what's key to that is being able to look at the applications or outcome around some of those trends. Right. How can I use these things to better help? We think the bets are going to be, you know, not even just in this holiday, but coming up uh, in FY 22. Right. so uh, returns, season of returns with the gross of e-commerce. Have you guys gone through and returned anything yet that yes. you've gotten? And <laughs> is that a, a couple big, times? Big, yeah. Big things, small things, two or three clothes, <laughs> drinks, right? What <laughs> perishables? I mean, all sorts of different stuff, right? right. So the the returns problem as we've been digging into this is a big one, right? Four hundred twenty eight billion to the tune of it. And it costs retailers anywhere from five to 50% of their gross margin on certain products, right? So where does big data, AI, predictive, prescriptive analytics, right? Where does all that kind of fit, right? Well, we have another partner we we mentioned and talked about partners on here to to throw that out, but using this around keep scores, right? That recommends the wrong products to customers and steers them away from potential returns. And for every, you know, million in returns reduction, you'll add about half of that or half a million back down to EBITDA, right? Directly. Mm. We've been using examples. So uh, we, we can talk about a large, uh, let's say a large denim company, uh, <laughs> massive increase in digital orders, right? And we, we'll say the names to, to protect them. But similar to shoes, right? People were purchasing three to five different, you know, sizes and colors. You guys yeah. might have, I know I've been guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effect of that, right? Look at merchants. Do they think like that the conversion rates are really good and they're seeing increasing demand in their styles? But what happens is, right, and you guys, you know, you've seen this, the overallocation of those false positives when returns come in, then hits the bottom line. Right. Mm-hmm. You got to look at all sorts of different things, right? Volume, quantity, units, cost of goods sold, dollars, margins, all those different things to help improve that allocation, shipping chargebacks, um, supplier quality improvements. That keep score recommendation is, is AI and ML built to look at those, provide those recommendations, inform the merchants and the consumers to, to reduce that returns area. And they were used that to see, you know, to hit many of their returns targets they were looking at and then not buy and purchase their own things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so returns and how we use the, the data and predictive AI and recommendation engines fit in that one. I like that um, keep score. I haven't heard that before, actually. Like mm-hmm. I hear AI, you know, I hear forecasting, I hear inventory, yeah. um, you know, assets protection uses there, but keep score. That's a new, that's a new I term. hope it, I, like I hope that. it's like Uber rating. Like I, I don't want to know what my keep score is right now <laughs> over the course of the pandemic. Your keep score is a shopper. My man. keep score yeah. is not great. Are they you are... a good or bad purchaser? <laughs> <or not>? right? <laughs> sorry, Chris, keep you. going. What? So yeah, what else? Like, cause AI yeah. is a buzzword. It gets thrown around all yeah. the time, but like, where else, where else do you think yep. people are going to be zeroing in to yep. apply it for their businesses? Yep. Yep. Great. So, so, so good ones. And I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about supply chain, right? Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, and what we're seeing in the market today and, and all the things you can look at, there's, um, you know, the autonomous drones that you've got in warehouses today, how they're looking at, at different areas. But right now, a big one is visibility and traceability. And that in transportation management, right? Data in real time on these massive disruptions. So we talked about external risks and signals and syndicate data. Um, How do I pull all of that together to see when my shipments will actually land on time? So how do I see disruptions like, you know, we we talked about this, the Panama Canal, strikes in Long Beach, um, typhoons in Japan, civil unrest in Spain, right? Um, Hotel, weather, occupancy rates, right? All of those things you can pull together to understand the disruption and move that inventory accordingly. I'll use our own Microsoft example. We're a pretty large CG business as well, where we ship to many of different retailers for Xbox, Surface, all those consumer pieces. And again, I'll keep this retailer nameless, but we were spending millions in late fees um, and the time it takes to process and dispute those late fees um, or early fees, what were costing us, uh, like I said, millions of dollars monthly in all of our products. 
So uh, we looked at these routes. We pulled together uh, sensors on trucks to notice where they were going, when they were being delivered. Through all these other predictive natures, pulled that piece together to look at specifically when our trucks would land with this retailer specifically. And in about a four month time period, we're turned millions of dollars monthly down to zero. And we haven't heard mm -hmm. incurred a fee cost in that yet. So when we talk about supply chain and areas, that's a rife one that costs a lot of money that is relatively, I won't say relatively, but within the supply chain, a quicker fix that you can look at from that perspective. Yeah. Well, I think especially that the transparency part of it that you're able to get with that, that, you know, even if you know, it's going to be delayed, just being able to give an, mm -hmm. an estimated due date by like just having that information, I think helps everybody in the process helps the customers on the receiving end as well. Well, it's an aspect of inventory forecasting too that we haven't talked that much about, mm -hmm. but it's so so prevalent right now. Sorry, Ricardo, go ahead. Well, yeah, I, no, I, it, one thing I was going to add, because I, I kind of like to take everything that Chris was just describing and kind of wrap it up and, and just call it, it's how data plus AI plus IoT just explodes everywhere in the business. You're, right. You mentioned earlier, Chris, right, how you always hear AI in, in forecasting, right, or in, in predicting replenishment and these narrowly focused areas because there's been a lot of quick return there. Right. But now I think really, you know, I, I would characterize the trend. You, know, you take all those things that Chris just described and wrap them up and say, it's just an explosion of AI and IoT everywhere. You know, leveraging data just across the board. Now, I, I actually did um, some work on a study earlier in the year about how many retailers are still using spreadsheets right, to do all of these calculations and analytics and, and mm -hmm. forecasting versus any kind of integrated solution that, that's AI-based, that's helping them forecast. And uh, not, not too long ago with one of our partners, I did um, a supply chain-based uh, webcast where we were talking about, you know, what were the advantages of having AI in your forecasting model during the pandemic? Because, you know, there were a lot of news reports right in the media about how, oh, all the AI models yeah, broke, right. right? Because in here, but so uh, one of our partners who is a, a major uh, supply chain partner, you know, they looked at their own customers and the data they had and said, you know what, it turns out all those examples they had of customers were, quote, the AI model broke. It broke because of human intervention <laughs> in, the, in the solution. If they had not <laughs> intervened and overridden things, it would have actually been a, a little bit better. Couldn't give up uh, so the they made it worse, though. in other words, by interfering with it. Yeah, the ego. Yeah, so there's there's definite sure. benefits there. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. Well, in the interest of time, we're gonna keep rolling because I think we could talk to you guys about this forever. This is already <laughs> this is like one of my favorite things we've ever done on this show. So, all right, Chris, we're gonna stick with you. Hmm. Number five, bring it home for us. The number five tech trend Microsoft would bet on. Oh, oh. Uh, you you teed this up and you said it. Yeah, I think in your notice in LinkedIn, metaverse, right? I, what I is, got it right. All right, good. I was <laughs> right. What does that right. look like? If I didn't say that, where would we be, right? And so, how do we define the metaverse, right? Yeah. Um, simple tagline, right? Bringing the digital, the physical and digital worlds together, right? Like that's the simplest way to say that. But if you double click, right, some other people have said computing into the real world and real world into computing. And what is my digital representation? But the cool thing that we like about it is it's not just that we're bringing our humanity to this and we're able to choose who and where we don't interact with. So a couple of the things you probably see out there, VR, right? Virtual reality, you see Oculus, like that's an, or our connected spaces. I think, Chris, we were joking, where are the legs in yeah. any of our <laughs> connected spaces and environments? Um, that's an immersive experience where you're drawn in. You have then augmented reality where you put on a device or a lens or a hollow lens of some kind where you're interacting with your environment. Uh, one of our customers, McCormick's, if you guys didn't use their spices, I think like 68, it's actually higher, 80% of all processed foods has McCormick in it somewhere. If you're not wow. using spices, you are. Uh, but they're using it to do remote assist and train on the factory floor and actually connect back to corporate with things that they're doing there. Um, sensors, sensors are everywhere from what IOT talked about from that perspective. And we'll go into digital twin in a little bit. when we talk about a physical or a digital representation of things that we see in a factory, all the way down to those uh, 2D things like our, our conversations we're having right now to, I don't know if any of you guys are Fortniteers, but those, um, yeah, I said it, those, uh, those concerts that they have digitally now people yeah. are like attending, right? Yes. Um, super weird. So, so if we define them in those areas, like those areas, there's eight criteria that Microsoft that we look at when we say the metaphors, baseline applications, right? That's your human presence and how I integrate uh, physically with this environment. 
I talked about mixed reality as a part of that, right? So where different, like bringing the physical presence into a digital world. We talked about, and this is another one, logic. That's that low code, no code applications that we put in. How do I have the right logic in this fabric? Uh, intelligence, we mentioned AI uh, and, and data models that fit all within that predictive world. Locations, mapping, everyone kind of has that today, but that's a piece of it in the physical. Modeling with digital twins, and then finally connectivity, bringing all those things together. So those eight things we tie up, say that's the foundation of building this metaverse now. That's exciting. Yeah, you love you love I the do. metaverse. I You're do. all about I it. I do. Well, I think, and I what I appreciate about what you said, Chris, is that I think for a long time people and people still are very skeptical about how yeah. this has real life applications. Even Chris and I are like VR, come on. Like, is that really going to be a way that people are going to be shopping right now? Does it make sense? Or is it just simpler to like go for it? But I think that the, the eight, the eight applications that you laid out is really starting to lay a foundation for how businesses can actually apply this and why they should be investing time in it right now. Yeah. I think my question for you guys would be, and whoever wants to take this can, I think would be because Ann and I do argue this on the show quite a bit, which is like, well, the impact for retail, especially when we're talking trends for 2022, is it going to be more on the operational side, like the McCormick's example yeah. that you're, you're describing, or is it going to be more on the consumer facing side? How should our audience be thinking about the metaverse from a retail investment perspective? Can, can I say both or Ann? Can I say we're both right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> is there both of those? I'll go first, Ricardo, and then you can go. It's yeah. There are massive operational costs where this has capabilities. I mentioned digital twin, right? So I, you know, Unilever, like I learned this 500 bars of soap, they deliver off of their plotter that it extrudes every minute. Um, and for key for them, they wanted to watch running speed, barrel temperature and worm temp. So you took that, that digital represent that physical representation, put it in a twin through process models and recommendations. And looking at that, they were able to save 2.5 million pounds in quality, getting to sustainability for material and waste right. and increase productivity 3%, right? With a nominal investment. So operational examples like that, right, are, are massive to the bottom line. Uh, consumers, like you have to be there, as you mentioned, just as far as ways we're interacting and talking with people. You said it with REI, Ricardo, those live sessions that they did online. I mean, 40% sales grew in REI and bikes alone during the pandemic. How do you do that virtually, right? Like, you know, they figured out a way to pull that together and build and help a customer build a bike. So, I mean, it's, it's an and for me. I think the practical applications will return quicker in operations. Okay. The consumer ones are going to like, that's going to morph all sorts of different places. But you have a pattern that we're seeing yeah. in the AI side of the conversation. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that you look at the adoption curve, right, for any of these technologies, like even some of the ones that we've already been talking about, right? When, when we first started talking about AI, right, there were a lot of really creative um, thought exercises, right, of people trying to decide how is this going to change the shopping experience, right? And right. where did it go first? It always goes first into those operational areas because that's where you can get the cost savings, like that great example Chris just mentioned, right, for, for Unilever. That's where, from a corporate point of view, right, every business is going to want to look for those because they'll get the cost savings. It goes right to their bottom line to do that. And that opens the door then to be a little more creative. Uh, you know, and I look at the creativity and, you know, is it next year? Is it beyond? You know, we, we, we can debate about, you know, where does it going to land between uh, operational and consumer? But think about what we're seeing just this year alone in social commerce, right? In social selling, mm -hmm. right? And you look at what uh, the, the extreme examples and the total, you know, merchandise value that's moved in China, right? On social mm -hmm. commerce versus the much smaller number it's been here. But look at how much that accelerated over the past year and a half in North America because of the pandemic. Now you start thinking about, well, how can I follow that model in, a, in this metaverse-like example, you know, and tie it back into when I was talking about, uh, you know, enhancing the labor force, right? Getting those frontline workers to be jazzed about live selling because they're still interacting with people. Now put them in this environment where they're doing the same thing, but they're doing it in a metaverse version uh, of that selling mode. Now it gets to be even more interesting and creative. You know, will, will people take to it? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, do I think people are going to experiment with it? Absolutely. God, this is so, this is getting my mind going on so many crazy angles too. Like the whole, like, which side of this do you focus on as a retailer? Do you focus mm -hmm. on the operational side or the customer love side of it, which we know one retailer is very good at focusing on and like, which wins out in the long run versus the short run. So many things we could go at, but you know, most shows guys, I got to tell you would let you off the hook at this point, mm. but not mm -hmm. Omnitalk, right? And yeah. not Omnitalk. <laughs> never, never. That's why we joined. 
That's right. So, we like you guys. That's right. That's right. So we have put our own top five trends together as well. So we're going to take a look at those with you now. And we want to hear what you think of our trends that we identified. And be honest with us. If we're close, were you near the mark? Like, did they get close to your list or not? As you guys were thinking about yours, we want to know. So trend number one, which I was shocked was not one of your trends, was what we were calling the further uh -oh. proliferation of cloud commerce. Now, why, how did that not make your guys' list? I mean, Microsoft, cloud. Well, how does cloud that not all make the time. it? Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> Such a good, you're not letting us off the hook, are you? Uh, no. Great, <laughs> great question. So cloud, cloud commerce, circular commerce, all sorts of those commerces. Yes, it, we kind of view that as table stakes. So whether we re reviewed the assignment as what's going to be new versus what's now in today, okay. uh, it's, a it's a great point, Chris. The, yeah. But like that cloud uh, economics or just the basic use of cloud, right? If people, if you're a, a business and you're uh, investing in your own data center, right? You're in the wrong line of work, right? Because <laughs> no, there's no way that you're going to be able to build, develop, and set up the type of advancements and capabilities that are coming out of these cloud businesses today. And I just read this, this blew me away. So these fundamental large scale um, models. So Microsoft, we partnered with NVIDIA on this and we announced a thing called Megatron Turing NLG, which is natural language generation models. It's the largest and most powerful monolithic transform model out there today with 530 billion parameters of natural language tasks. I mean, I, is Nordstrom going to want to build that, right? Like, is, yeah. and I'm, I'm picking on them, target choose, right? Like th these capabilities and these offerings that are coming to the table are uh, our business, our cloud providers' businesses. And if you're not there today, it's, it's table stakes. And it's <laughs> competing with that is, is a hard, is, is a hard thing for, to convince me of. That product needs its own yeah. like movie title. Yeah, that was I, our first major I, know. I was like, this is, this, Chris should be using the like movie voice right? to talk about that right. thing. Well, what's sure. number two? Yeah. It actually goes along the lines. Yes. So our number two trend was computer vision. Uh, mm. which you tapped in a little bit um, in the third mm. trend that you were talking about with the great resignation. Ricardo, were we off on that one? What do you think? Yeah, so I, I, I look at computer vision. I don't think you're off on that one. I, I think it kind of is, is a little bit more pervasive than to be a standalone thing. It, it touches on a number of areas that we talked about. So I, I think very much like Chris's you know, reaction to, to the cloud uh, being your first one, I, I think we would look at that and say, well, it's going to be everywhere. Right. right. So uh, it, it's it's almost it more than just its own trend. It touches on multiple trends. So we could either we could leave it standalone, but I think we, we would say it's going to be part of so many other trends. It, it's almost like glue, right? It glues other things together. Yeah, it's kind of that and, underlying foundation. I think the reason we yeah. picked it out too is that we're starting to see. I think it's interesting too because it's it's the perfect example. I think of the the AI moving into the consumer facing yeah. landscape now, which I think mm -hmm. that we're starting to see more of, which is why. You know, we put it on the list. All right. Trend number three was automation and advances in robotics. What do you guys mm -hmm. think of that one? <laughs> uh, yep. love, I love it. You, we, I kind of touched. I debated whether to talk about that. In oh, you did? I yeah. did. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell it, us it more, our, please. Yeah. We have a talk track with even our own Microsoft supply chain and how we look at our own distribution centers with these autonomous robots and vehicles working at night, which changes the labor force. If you're having all of these things built right. at night, loading, I don't need them 24 hours. You guys have probably heard like drones in warehouses now as well, like able to go through and pick up small products and move them together. Mm -hmm. Um, Automation and robotics, either through delivery and operations or warehouse. It's one that's in there. And I debated whether to put it in AI, ML, or IoT, but man, we'll leave it to you guys to wrap those yeah. together. So Chris, are you seeing are you seeing retail customers ask for that more? Like, are you seeing a greater interest in that now than you would say a year ago or two years ago in terms of robotic applications, specifically in-store? Are you seeing that more? Our RPA was mostly, I've seen it for the last three years from our customers yeah. in supply chain and warehouse management was why I went For there. sure. Um, yeah. But if you mean like more shelf analytics, like I've got yeah. a robot in store, like I'm, I'm scanning shelves, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Walmart implemented this. We've got what, Hy-Vee yeah. that I think is yeah, putting Hy-Vee, yeah. markets. Yeah. So those are in there. Not only can they go through and pull up that analytic piece of it, but they can also be, you know, a dual support for customer service, right? Like if I'm in a place trying to find a nut to this bolt, right, it can take that computer vision, see where that is, and then direct me in the store. Um, so yeah, the, people have started to dabble in that over the last year, year and a half. And again, where you have the opportunity to move to cloud, right? And that's where Ricardo was saying, you can get really creative by moving some of my 
uh, OPEX, my run costs into mm -hmm. innovation costs from that specific area. And everyone has a different way that they'll want to integrate that in. All right, you guys, our next trend was blockchain. <laughs> Quick take. Mm. Ricardo, you want it? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that one. So I, I think my, my short take on that one is, was we're talking 2022, I, I would say not yet. Maybe okay. still in the early adoption. I, I think a lot of, um, let's call them the, the more advanced brands, and we can probably all guess which ones those would be that we know always love to be out front experimenting. We'll, we'll try some things. Uh, I think, again, this is one of those where where does it show itself? It'll be in those operational areas. Uh, it was like, say, for traceability in the supply chain, for example, uh, lots of examples I think I've seen in the food supply, right, where that where this ha has a, a play, um, you know, unless you want to go even further, right, and start talking about NFTs, and I was going to not go mm -hmm. there, but, um, you know, I think it's just a little too early. Ask us again next year for 2023. Okay, okay. interesting, interesting. Okay, I didn't You're think you said- You're saying I have a chance. Yeah, you're saying I have a chance, because NFTs have been populating our conversations week to week, and yeah. then you've mm -hmm. got the crypto in store using crypto that everyone's getting after too, but that's interesting to hear you guys say that, so that's very good to know. All right, trend number five was actually RFID. We've been predicting an explosion mm. in RFID over the last, uh, over the next few years. What do you guys think of that one, Chris? Now I'm going to answer this with a question, right? When you say RFID, are you meaning we're going to go back operations or in store? Like when that came to you, what was the genesis of you guys? In Great direction? question. I'm thinking we're going to see more tagging of products mm. to increase the visit, the inventory accuracy and visibility to inventory throughout the supply chain, but specifically in store predicated by all the omni-channel shipping methods that you have now out of a store, whether it's shipping from store, curbside pickup, just seems like it's going to become a fundamental piece of how all that gets done in our minds. This is why you're in the business. It's a good one, right? But it's going to be applied to certain areas. So if you ask yeah. me like in a grocer, right, do you put that around perishable products of small, little- Probably not yet, yet right? No. no. Yeah. But do you, as you said, put that in like fashion, apparel, department mm -hmm. store, larger areas? The key for RFID has always been, is the manufacturer building that and putting it on the tag so I have that in my piece right. of paper? But to yeah. what you're saying, absolutely. Inventory counts, what we say is sell to the last. How do I know that in store I have- not not just the skew, but this size of shirt and this color specifically and the variance of that in here for me to pick up. And as you mentioned, with omnichannel and e-commerce, it's so important to know for Bopus and Boris, right? Where is that? Do I have it? Mm -hmm. Did I get it back or did I not? Um, so yeah, inventory accuracy, we'll see gross upwards from 60% to 90%. Mm -hmm. Selling through an omnichannel, really important for those use cases in those specific sub-verticals. So fashion apparel, uh, home improvement, those, I think, yes, definite, definite use case. Yeah. And I think, yeah, too, I think if we were to redo this list, I think I would actually probably take that one off and go with the, the, the advertising media network. Yeah. Retail media networks. List, but, yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty impressed. Okay. We did. Okay. Yeah. We're in the All experts right. here from Microsoft. Right. A lot of overlap yeah. too, inherently in some of the things that we picked, but I got to tell you guys, that was I think it's one of my most favorite conversations I've ever <laughs> yes. had. Like, no joke. Like, I think we could spend another hour on here, but like for the interest of time, man. Yeah. If people want to get in touch with you to continue the conversation, people will have been messaging you on LinkedIn during this event. Um, where's the best place for them to get in contact with you? And uh, Ricardo, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, LinkedIn is a great place to start. I'm always uh, visible and, and uh, around on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll, I'll put my uh, email here in the chat too and you can reach me that way as well but either of those will work great and how about you chris similar not just because we own linkedin and because it's a fantastic <laughs> product but because it's a great way for us to interact and collaborate That's in right. diverse in the business multiverse that we're moving to uh, yeah. you'll see our contact information in the chat here as well excellent well, that wraps us up today. Thank you so much to Chris and Ricardo for sitting down with us today. Thank you to all of us for joining us live and for posting questions on LinkedIn. And as always, be careful out there.